Let me start with a word of prayer. Thanks for being back in here, and um, we'll get started. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign. We can rest in the knowledge of your sovereignty. We can rest in your attributes, knowing that you are fully loving, you're fully just, you are all-knowing, you care, you're constantly aware of all of our needs. There's nothing that you do not know. There's, you are over all creation, anything that has been created from the angels to the demonic realm, the rebellious angels, they are under your power because they are created beings and you have always existed. And we just thank you, Lord. I pray that your spirit would speak this morning, that you would allow me to say the words that you want said and that my friends here could hear and be encouraged and strengthened by your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes. It's going to be kind of an overview of the book. It, it's, I always, um, I've always thought it as kind of the book of Eeyore uh, from Winnie the Pooh. You know, everything is wearisome. Everything is chasing the wind. If a tree falls in the woods, does it fall to the north or to the south? Who knows? But it's there. I mean, it's just really, you know, really, this is the Bible. The, it's actually written throughout Scripture. The Scriptures have been written with a literary style, and there's a, a chiasms, and there's all different kinds of ways of, of writing, and they wrote it. This book, I read from a commentator. He said this about the book. He said, the, teacher, the teacher's unique method of argumentation makes a coherent outline of this work of Ecclesiastes almost impossible. I found an essay on a pig that I thought was applicable to parallel this. This child wrote, a pig is a funny animal, but it has some uses. Our dog don't like pigs. Our dog's name's Nero. Our teacher read a story one day about a wicked man called Nero. My daddy is a good man. Men are very useful. Men are different than women. And my mom ain't like my daddy. My mom says the ring around the sun means the storm is coming. And that's all I know about pigs. <laughs> Welcome to Ecclesiastes. It has some negative sounding Eeyore type. You're kidding. And so for my in my life, I pretty much have only camped out in the 12th chapter, the last chapter, because it has this is the summation of the, you know, this is the conclusion of the matter. I go, okay, now something that I can like apply. A terse and pithy verse. And so I've stayed out of the book. Well, I got away for a week, and I just uh, I got away, didn't have any work outside of studying Ecclesiastes. Now, I normally don't do that. I'm a more topical kind of guy. But I thought, no, I need to understand this book. And the more I got into it, the more confused I got. And then I go, and it made me really appreciate the book of Proverbs. Like, I love Proverbs. I mean, Proverbs is just so logical. It has this cause, has this effect. If you live wisely, you live long and prosper. If you do foolish things, you're going to be destroyed. I mean, come on. It's just clear. I liked it. One teacher, uh, she spent 30-something years teaching school, and she was a first-grade teacher, and she would ask her first-graders Proverbs every once in a blue moon, and, and she would write down some of their responses. I'm going to ask you to join in as I share some of her responses. Better strike, uh, see, better be safe than, okay. This first grader said, better safe than punch a fifth grader. <laughs> Let's see another one. 
don't bite the hand that uh-uh. This first grader said, don't bite the hand that looks dirty. <laughs> it's wisdom right there, y'all. Uh, this, this, is, uh, this one was, I think, a farm boy. Uh, the pen is mightier than the... The pen is mightier than the pigs. All right, we'll move on. Bunch of city people. A penny saved is... Oh, no, a penny saved is not much. Uh, don't put off tomorrow what? Mm -mm. Don't put off tomorrow what you put on to go to bed. At first, you don't succeed. Get new batteries. Yep, there you go. Okay, one with this one. Children should be seen and not... Children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. <laughs> so Pro Proverbs is a fun book, great book, very clear. That's where I like to be. The problem with Proverbs is they're not promises. Train up a child in the way they should go, go and when they're old, they will not depart from it. That is not a promise. It's a high probability Proverbs is a book of probabilities, what typically happens. This book was actually lived out first, and the nation of Israel lived out these truths because God has taken his wisdom, and it's woven like a tapestry. It's woven throughout our universe that wisdom plays out. If you move an ancient boundary stone between your neighbor, you're going to have issues with them. If you don't, and you protect that boundary line, you're going to get along. That's generally true. A wise man sees danger and takes refuge, but a fool keeps going and suffers for it. Well, sometimes fools keep going and they get rewarded for it. And you go, wait, most of the time, this is true. And the Israelites lived out these truths, this wisdom that's in the, woven into the universe that God has established. They lived it. And then at some point they wrote it down because it was true. It generally happened. And of course, it was inspired of God, but it wasn't like they wrote it and then started living it. They were living it, and then they consolidated these things and become written principles, proverbs, words of wisdom. Now, I love the book, but I got to tell you, it hasn't always played out in my life. I have lost friends when they're young and they were godly. What do you do with that? What do you do when you get a proverb and you trained up your kids and you have one that's wayward right now? They, were, they came to family camp. They got a character quality certificate, talked about all their godly attributes. You trained them. They went to church. And now they're in their 20s and they're wayward. And you're going... And what do we do? We just park that and just kind of put it in the back of our heads and go, well, we don't want to talk about it because it seems contradictory. God has addressed this. It's just I camped out in Proverbs. And I didn't look at two other books of wisdom literature that you have to study with it. Ecclesiastes and Job. And it gives us a full 
heavenly orbed view then of life under the sun. Ecclesiastes references under the sun. It's a phrase not used anywhere else in scripture, 28 times, talking about what goes on on this earth. If you just looked at this earth in our physical realm and what we deal with under the sun, he talks about how things go awry, how things are a mess. So Proverbs, it's like that beautiful walk in the woods. Bambi's off to one side. Chipmunks are over there. Alvin's on one other side. You walk down. There's no, there's no tree that fell down blocking you. It's Proverbs. It's wonderful. And it is a book of probabilities, and it's typically how life plays out. And it's awesome. But it isn't always this way. Ecclesiastes, which helps us get the exception to the rule of Proverbs. You got to look at Ecclesiastes because it's, this is where we get the answers to the things that we don't explain out of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, if I were to pick a picture, it would be this with the tagline, what is happening? It's like coming home and you're going, oh my goodness. I had just gone to the grocery store for a moment and you come back to this. We got family campers in this room right now. This is what happened at Christmas and New Year's. Bad things happen to wise and godly people. That's not really what you pick up in Proverbs. Good things happen to wise and godly people, but there's exceptions to those rules. Bad things happen to wise and godly people. And if we're honest, this is key here. If you study the book of Job, problem with Job is the friends were all oversimplifying everything. Life is far too complex to just pop a Bible verse out and go, well, this is it. The worst thing you could do for me when my daughter was in dying in 2016, 17, 18, and we were in the crisis, and it was, it was I had some extreme thoughts of just wanting to unhook the gas line on the, on the stove and just blow us all up because I couldn't take it. I just didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And there were a few good-intentioned Christians who would just share with me a Bible verse or a few Bible verses. And you know what I wanted to say to them? Thank you, but shut up. You're not helping me. I know those Bible verses, but they're not playing out right now in my life. And I'm panicking because I don't know what to do. And if you're honest with yourself and you've lived a number of years, you're at a place where you're like, oh, I know that feeling. And I've just kind of compartmentalized it. And then some of you, you're in it right now. And you're going, oh yeah, that's my life. That smoke coming home, that fear, that spike of adrenaline, <gasps> panic, chaos. Life's too complex for simple formulas and solutions. We struggle to grasp life's mysteries and we're incapable of changing life's realities. That's a hopeless statement if you're living under the sun. If that's where you're at, you don't have a God above the sun who's overall, then you're, this is not something you want to think about. So what do you do? You just go out and you 
numb yourself with alcohol or you numb yourself with success or achievement or projects or fun or pleasure or fame. You do whatever you can. And guess what? The teacher, the writer in Ecclesiastes did all those things. Solomon did everything that he wanted to try and do. And it was still chasing the wind. It was vanity. It was futility. It was meaningless. So we struggle to grasp life's mysteries and we're incapable of changing life's realities. And that is why God gave us Ecclesiastes to give us direction, grace, and hope. I never saw the grace in the book until I studied the book intentionally over time in a short, in one week, I just, just stayed in it. It's like I never got out of the pool. I stayed pruny. You know, I just stayed pruny in Ecclesiastes. I wouldn't get now to the pool and the book of Ecclesiastes until I got it. And there was, I saw how God's grace was throughout the book of Ecclesiastes in the midst of all the futility and the frustration that you read. The book starts off in Ecclesiastes. It begins with these key, this key statement about our lives, okay? And this is four different translations. I just kind of want to tee this thing off on the first hole of this 18-hole this match. Four different translations say diff, these four different ways. Ver, chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's why I usually close the book. Futility of futilities, all is futility. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Useless, useless, life is useless. Okay, so however, whatever translation you want, you kind of get the point. And I'm going to say this word a few times in my talk. And I'll show you why I can say that. But the first is this, life can suck. And one of the most comforting things to me during my chaos was when people came up and said, I am so sorry. That sucks. Anyway, yes, yes, that's the word. It sucks. And I felt so loved and so valued because in my trauma, someone was able to identify that it sucked. So the human race, we chose to sin. And because we chose to sin, this world is broken. And because this world is broken, now there is no firm foundation under the sun to build on to find meaning or satisfaction and the key to existence. Life is full of futility, frustration, absurdity, absurdity. Let's pray. Let's go home. You know, no, seriously, this is like really, yes, this is the problem of humankind and for humankind. We're never going to find satisfaction, meaning peace, under the sun apart from God. This is why I can share Jesus with confidence with people who don't know him. Because I know this is their life under the sun because it's my life under the sun. And the only thing that helps me is the son of God who gives me purpose. Now, there's a word that shows up in 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. It shows up 38 times. 38. Okay, so that's significant. If I said something 38 times in a short little, man, you'd pay attention. That word is hevel. It's Hebrew. I'm not a ling linguist. I know nothing about languages. I even have to look up English words. I go, well, what does that even mean? You know, forthright. Well, am I using that properly? I don't know. Let's go to Webster. Oh, it is right. Okay, good. 
Hevel is a Hebrew word, and it's used 38 times in the book. And it means vanity or meaninglessness or futility. It was the word in chapter 1, verse 2 that we just looked at. It's, it's, it's futility, it's frustration, it's like this isn't right, it's just this mess. But it also has another meaning, smoke or vapor. Now that's intentional because like with smoke or vapor, life is fleeting. You could go, if you're up high and you're climbing, in a, you're doing some mountain climbing and you're in a, but as you grab at it, it's gone. And the same thing is with, with vapor and smoke. Our lives, you think you can get control of something, you think you can grab it and all of a sudden it's gone. You went to the store and you come back and your house is burned. I am so sorry. A friend of mine last week, I found out family camper came with his boys and healthy as all get out was with his wife they were hiking and he had a heart attack and dropped dead younger than me that's hevel you can't control that situation and when it looks solid and you try to grab at it it just it just it evades your grip and, and also in the midst of the smoke it's disorienting it's, it's, it's scary. It's hevel. Hevel. We got family campers. We had a few families this summer that were packing up and all excited to come to camp, and one of the kids starts having some symptoms. So they test the child. Positive. Unload the car. That's hevel. It's like, what? What? And there's much worse. It's Hevel. And we see that 38 times throughout the text. And that is life as we know it. You go into your office and you see this. You're like, ah, that's Hevel. Panic. What's happening? What do we do? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. So what I want to do is I took and I studied and I looked to see what things popped up because again this text this 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 12 chapters bounced all over the place but I took it and and I dissected and I and I, this is something I encourage people to do is take it and then and then print out the text just print it out now for me I print it out why because the font's bigger when I print it out <laughs> I know it's pitiful and then as you print it out, then you start to dissect and you start to, you start to see where there's some correlation or where it repeats itself. And you put it off to the side and you make comments. And, and I'm telling you, it, it, it makes studying exciting. Like you're like, oh my goodness, look at this. You start seeing repetition in certain trends and you go, oh, why is that there? Why, why? There's a reason everything is in the text. When scripture, there's a reason for all of it. Sometimes the Lord reveals it. Sometimes he doesn't right away. There's some things I go, well, not sure what casting the bread on the water is all about from Proverbs, but there's commentators that give opinions on it. But there's some things, and what I did is I took, the, I took four life-sucking uh, life realities that just showed up kind of like a trend. I pulled those life-sucking realities, and I want to give you the life-flourishing antidotes. And so the reason I said the word suck is because what do we think of when we think of suck? We think of ticks. Nothing, nothing like nasty ticks. And I'm going to show you four life-sucking realities that we can't do anything about. 
we have no control over. But there is some antidote. There's an antidote that can help us flourish. So the four life-sucking realities, I'm going to cover them real fast, and then we're going to go over them. Time marches on, and you can't stop it. You can do all the Botox you want. You can get all the knee replacements you want. But you're getting old. And the second life-sucking reality is it comes to all of us, and we can't avoid it. That sucks. That's tick-like sucking. Nasty. And the third one is control is an illusion and you can't change it. You try and you try and I try and I try. We can't stop it. Control is an illusion. We have no control. And the fourth, as the ticks were small, they get bigger, so these get bigger in my mind. This one is the biggest one for me. It's human achievement doesn't satisfy and yet we keep acting like it will. We just keep trying to make it satisfy and it doesn't. Time marches on, death comes to all, control is an illusion, and human achievement doesn't satisfy. Those are the life-sucking realities that came out of the text of Ecclesiastes, and I'll share the antidote. So let's start with the first one. Time marches on, and you can't stop it. You get into the first chapter, in verse 4, it goes, jumps right into this. A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Under the sun, the earth it's going gonna, it's gonna to stick, stick around. Things aren't going to change. Sun's going to rise. Sun's going to set. Sun's going to rise. Sun's going to set. Sun's going to rise. Sun's going to set. Water's going to rain. We're going to flow down the hills. Going to the ocean. The ocean isn't going to fill up, but it's going to be there. It's not going anywhere. But you are. You're going to come. You're going to live. You're going to die. And everyone's going to forget you. Chapter 1, verse 11. There is no remembrance of the earlier things and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Why, thank you. That's so encouraging. And if that's not enough, let's put it again in the second chapter. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. Wait, wait, wait. Proverbs always talks about how the wise guy gets the good stuff and the fool gets the suffering. No, 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 no. No one's going to remember you. You can be wise as you want. You're not going to be remembered. Inasmuch as in the, excuse me, in the coming days, all will be forgotten. All will be forgotten. Oh, that is shot outside of my mouth. Didn't it? A little drink of water. So we have, a, uh, we have an encouraging poster for you in the doc shop if you want to buy it. Inspirational for you for today. <laughs> Not really. We don't sell that. But no one remembers. Hevel. That's Hevel. No one's going to remember. You, your kids, in time, it's going to be forgotten. The earth's going to be here. You're not. So let's look at this guy. Oh, this is Stanislav Patrov. We all know Stanislav, don't we? We talk about him all the time. No, we don't. No one knows. He's barely still on the radar. Give it another decade or so and he'll be forgotten. Stanislav Patrov single-handedly avoided nuclear war in 1983. While on duty, he got a confirmation from the nuclear early warning system that the United States had launched seven nuclear missiles toward the Soviet Union. He had the full authority to launch an all-out nuclear attack on the United States. But though his counterpart was yelling at him and wanted to fire, Stanislav Patrov 
refrained from doing so as he believed the system might be faulty, and indeed it was. We owe Stanislav Petrov all of our gratitude that we're alive. Your kids that are born after that wouldn't have been born, probably. But no one remembers Stanislav Petrov. A little closer to us, Larry Tesler. Larry Tesler, man, love this guy. Why? He invented the cut, copy, paste function that we use every day. He has saved workers over billions of hours of unnecessary wasted work time because of that invention, that creation. And yet, we don't know him. So, time marches on. That's a life-sucking reality. The antidote. God has appointed each moment in time. God has appointed. So then we should be asking ourselves, God, what do you have for me today? This is not my life. This is your life. You let me live. You put me, and, and frankly, this is one of the things I, have a, I don't have in this PowerPoint, but I have a picture of, of these bar stool chairs on a stage. And then they have, each one has a spotlight on that chair. And I go, each of us has a stool. Each of us has a life that God puts us on stage. He puts us on display. Why? For our own fame and our own benefit? No. He puts us on display to put him on display. That's why he chose the nation of Israel. It's 80% desert. I don't know, you might have covered that. It's 80% desert. Why? He could have picked Iowa or Michigan where it's lush green grass. And No, he, why? It's because of the location. And he was going to put this nation where all this tra travel and business was going to go through to put God on display. He put Israel on display to put him on display. He puts you on display to put him on display. And therefore, each moment of time, God's got something planned. I want to be asking God every day, what do you want me to do? Because you've ordered my days. The birds, don't know if you recognize the lead singer. They had a song. Last night's talent show. song. It was number one song. It's Ecclesiastes. Don't get any ideas that they were Christians. They weren't. It was actually a communist sympathizer who was, wrote the song, but no one would print his stuff, so he decided to take a Bible verse, and then at the end put, you know, stop war. And, uh, and, they got, and it worked, because then it became a song. But anyway, but yes, it's, it's Ecclesiastes. And there's a time for certain things. And God knows that time. It says in, in chapter 3, verse 1, and then also in 11, it says there is an appointed time for everything. Everything, there's an appointed time. We don't know. God knows. And there is a time for every event under heaven. He, and I underline this, he has made everything appropriate in its time. 
And then it goes on down. I know that there's nothing better for them to, than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in his labor. It is a gift of God. That's God's grace. But God has appointed time. I saw this. Um, I don't know if I read this or, or I don't know. I scribbled on a piece of paper. And I circled it, which means it's a reminder to me to make sure I read it. Doing the right thing at the right time. Doing the right thing at the right time yields a beautiful sense of fulfillment, a divine fulfillment. When I obey the Lord, when he kind of cues me and kind of, I got this sense to do something, and sometimes it's odd. And when I do it, I just, I just go, oh my goodness, that wasn't me. That was the Lord cueing me to do that. And, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff we do every day, but I mean, picking up a piece of trash Throwing in the trash can. It's not your trash, but you just feel like you should. Going ahead and emptying the dishwasher. Well, that's your spouse's chore, but you do it anyway. And you think, that's not of me for sure. That's got to be God. Because you're still irritated at him or her for something they did. When you look to the Lord, he's made everything appropriate in his time. God has appointed each moment in time. And so let's start by saying, Lord, how do you want me to live today? Start each day saying, Lord, bring it. Holy Spirit, lead me. I don't want to be in control. One of the first things I do with our summer staff leadership, when they show up and we start doing some training with them, coaching them, giving them practical leadership principles and helping them start yielding as leaders, start to yield and drink deeply of what the Lord wants for them, one of the first things I talk about is there is a throne in your, in, your, in, your, in your person. There's a throne in your heart and in your mind. And that throne is your throne. It's the throne of your life. Who is sitting on it? Is it you or is it the Lord? Because when you sit on the throne of your life, it's all about you. You're controlling everything. You want to control everything. You want it to be your way. You're thinking about you. You're me first pleasure seeker. It's all about you. And even things that you do for God, a lot of times it's just because it makes you look good because that's what should be done in that context with those people. And I say, you as a leader have to get off the throne of your life and you have to invite the Holy Spirit to sit there and then you submit to the Spirit. And I admit, there's times I, I'm one cheek in it. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm part of it and I'm on the Holy Spirit to be on the other part. And I got to get off and say, Lord, you lead me. And that's a daily thing. Second life-sucking reality. Death comes to all and you can't avoid it. I never thought about this. <laughs> 20s, t- teens, grades, you don't think about it at all. You definitely don't think about it when your frontal lobe isn't fully developed. So until 25, you're, you know, I was an idiot. I did stupid things. You didn't think about dying. I did so many things I look back at and I can't even talk about it because that was stupid. No one went on to hire me to do anything because I did stupid things in my college years. I mean, just, just dangerous, like you can die. Well, as we get older, now I'm in the second half of my life. Third quarter, we're not in the fourth quarter yet, but we're third quarter and I don't like it. And then I come across this inspirational poster, Oscar Wilde, Whenever life sucks, remember, you're going to die someday. I'm like, man, it's coming. 
And getting old isn't for sissies. It's rough. The body just, oh. And then I came across the picture because I'm visual. And this just, this sums it all up. This is, this is it right here. Under the sun, this is it right there. Soak it up, people. This is your life. <laughs> Baby, sitting up, crawling, starting to walk, going, getting older, going to school, backpack, going to college. Okay, getting a job, making money. Oh, getting a little older. Get a, oh, got a cane. Okay, okay, now I need a cane. Oh, now I'm in a wheelchair. Now nah, I'm in my bed. Can't get up. Okay, I'm dead. Exciting, isn't it? Just, ooh, motivational speaker you are. Now, just to lighten the load, kind of ease up, I'm going to change tempos. Okay, so I like a good Hallmark card. Um, the other cards are good, but Hallmark, when they have their, you know, the, the funny cards, I love. I have a stack of cards that my kids have given me over the years that sit in my study. Every so often, I open them up and go, ha, 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 that's good, you know, and they're just funny like that, and so I just want to show you a few and then make a point at the end. What chances, what are the chances of you getting a birthday present? I came across this one, between slim to none. Slim and none. See, that's just good. That just makes, that just makes me laugh. Um, this one, this is the inside of the car. Get well soon while you still have a few bucks. Hmm, what is that about? Get well soon while you still have a few bucks. The bottom of this card starts off with just another day at medical school. And then the do older doctor saying, okay, that was pretty good. Still, we don't actually say ka-ching when we meet a new patient. <laughs> so get well. Uh, this one, hopes this cracks you up. Now, this is the... Uh, this is the rest of the story you didn't know about. Um, this is the front of the card. How she became known as Mother Goose. <laughs> and why Humpty actually fell. Okay, great. Um, let's keep rolling here. Uh, for your birthday, I wanted to get you a cute card, and he wanted to get you a gross card, so we compromised. There you have it. <laughs> the bear with a little flatulence. Okay, this card is just weird. Okay, this one is just weird. I mean, I think I'm unique at times am I thinking, no, no, no. Whoever did this card is off the charts. I, the inside says, I could never forget someone like you, happy birthday. The front of the card at the bottom says, Cindy felt that spelling her name in a unique way would help people to remember her. That's Cindy with an I. And then, yep, Cyclops here. Um, that's just weird. But I would still take this card over one of the more sentimental ones. Uh, this is my favorite card. This is the best. I'm ending with this one as far as on the funny stuff. Um, happy anniversary. Marge got pretty tired uh, waking up at the crack of dawn. That's an awesome card. It's my fave. Yep, 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 yep. Now, why did I show you these cards? I don't know, lighten the load. But I will tell you this. I have not shared this in 30 years. Uh, in my 20s, I, uh, I don't know. I must have been at the store getting a card, and I noticed all the different sections in the Hallmark cards and, and how it covered everything, I thought. And then, for whatever reason, I must have been thinking, <clears throat> you know, it has a get well section, but what about people that are, like, terminal, like they're going to die, and there's no cards? And I don't know why. I decided to call 411. That dates us. 411. Some of you younger people will be like, what is that? Ask someone that's older. Called 411 and got the 800 number for Hallmark. 
I called the Hallmark offices, and I got one of the representatives. And I said, uh, ma'am, um, I was noticing you got some wonderful cards and sections, uh, and they're great, but I was wondering, do you have a section for people? I know, this is weird, and I don't know why I shared it this summer, but I'm doing. Um, a section for people that um, they're, they're going to die, like they're not going to get better, like a welcome to death card. There was silence on the phone. And then she came back with, well, we have get well card, you know, we have get well cards. I go, right, I understand that. You have great get well cards. But what if they're not going to get well? Do you have cards for those people? She's like, no, sir, I'm sorry. We don't. I said, okay. All right, bye-bye. And so I hung up, and then I thought, well, maybe I should create my own. <laughs> so... Please forgive me. I was in my 20s, frontal lobe not fully developed. This was, I have two cards I'm going to show you. Aye, aye, aye. As a fellow Star Wars fan, because this is when Star Wars was out, it was a big deal. As a, fellow, fellow, as a fellow Star Wars fan, we wish you well. You see where I'm going with this one? And as we welcome you to the dark side. I'm not proud of this, y'all. This has been kept silent for 30 years. Um... And then the other card was this one. You know, it was always, people always said, you know, come on, everyone's doing it. So that was kind of in my head. And you got this crowd of people, you know, come on, everyone's doing it. And the inside says, studies show that 10 out of 10 people die. <laughs> I don't know. So let's go to scripture. Um, Ecclesi <laughs> Ecclesiastes 2, 14 to 16 says this. The wise man's eyes are in his head. Okay, basically saying he's using his eyes to interpret and take in wisdom. But the fool walks in darkness. He does foolish things. So it's making the little simple contrast between the wise man and how he lives and the fool. But then it says this. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Again, this isn't how Proverbs unfolds. This is Ecclesiastes. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall on me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. This is hevel. There's that word. Hevel, vanity, futility, frustration, meaningless. It's just, I said to myself, this too is hevel, for there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as well as the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. It doesn't stop there. It repeats it another chapter later. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of animals, the fate of beasts, it's the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath and there is no advantage for a man over an animal. For all is vanity, all is hevel. So death comes to all. That is is the second life-sucking reality. But the antidote, we have a secure eternity in Christ. Now, Ecclesiastes doesn't reference Christ, but as we read the rest of the story, as we understand the rest of Scripture in the New Testament, we go, oh my goodness, we have hope. Because our eternity is gonna be with Jesus if we trust him now. And so, again, another picture Start off as that energized young battery and then it just kind of, and then we die. But we know we're going to go with, be with the Lord, instantaneously with the Lord. So death comes to all, but we have a secure eternity through Jesus. And that's the antidote. Third life-sucking reality. By the way, um, for like seven of the past nine weeks, right when I'm talking about death comes to all, 
the barrel train comes down nice and slowly down this road with the Cove Kids girls counselors walking on different sides of it, you know, for safety purposes, kind of like a motorcade with the president in it. And, and the Cove Kids are all seated in the barrel train and they're just driving. And we all pause because you cannot not look at Cove Kids. I mean, were they not the most cutest things you ever seen on stage? I mean, I could watch them sing all day long. Don't care what they sing. It's just like, oh, and they're so funny. They're all in their little worlds. Anyway, they're just driving down and we all stop and we pause. And week one, as they went by, I thought, oh, they're so cute. And I was like, oh, they're so cute. And then it just popped in my head and I made the mistake of saying it. And I go, yeah, and they're all gonna die. <laughs> and I had moms look at me like. <laughs> and the dads are like, well, that's true. <laughs> and so every week I just kind of, it happened for seven of the nine weeks. They just went by and I figured that was the Lord's timing. And so the Lord didn't let him come by this time, so I'm just going to tell you the story. But, um, but yeah, you hope they're not going to die for another 80 years. But at some point, they're going to die. And are we training them up to trust the Lord, get off the throne of their lives, to invite the Lord to guide them each and every day? Are we modeling that? Lives, lessons are better caught than taught. Our summer staff, we can't just tell them what to do. We got to model for them what to do. They got to see 40% variance in me and my team, my leadership team, or they're not going to want to embrace what we hold dear here. We're inventing and recreating the culture every summer. It can be lost in one week of poor training. It can be lost in, in my staff not living it out in front of them. Lessons are better caught than taught. And so, yeah, as they go down, you go, yeah, live long and prosper. You know, Spock, you know, whatever, you know, Star Trek. Yeah, you hope it. But we got to prepare them because that life cycle, you end in death. So let's do what we can do. So third life-sucking reality, control is an illusion and you can't change it. And that's why, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, you see that little faint? I had fun with my PowerPoint picks. Ticks suck. And there's a tick up there and that little whoosh. Life. Hevel. It can suck hevel because you can't stop time you can't stop death you can't eliminate suffering i hate pain pain hurts i can't eliminate suffering you can't eliminate unfairness i mean we can make efforts to do that that's great but i'm just saying you can't eliminate it i saw under the sun okay so on the unfairness thing you would think the fastest runner wins the race the strongest army wins the battle the wisest man, I mean, you think all these, yeah, well, Scripture says, oh, oh, wait, no, no, no. I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warrior and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability. No, that's not the way it plays out. Right, Ecclesiastes is the exception to the rule. This is where we learn about the exception to the rule and to get context for, for all of life when it doesn't go where, the way it should. Moreover, man does not know his time, like a fish caught in a treacherous net, skippy caught in a net, or birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Hevel, hevel, hevel. You can't eliminate unfairness. You can't retain your wealth beyond this life. You can't guarantee how your wealth is going to be used after you die. Think about these billionaires. Musk and 
and Gates and Bezos. I mean, you think about, they have all this money and they're going to die and they know it. And they're going to do, you don't think they're not working on cryogenics in some sort of way to freeze themselves and sustain themselves till they come up with a way to live forever. It ain't going to happen. They can't stop. They can't. And so Ecclesiastes covers this. Chapter two, it covers this. Thus I hated. I mean, this, and by the way, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he'll say a proverb, and then right after it, he'll say an anti-proverb. And that's another reason why I didn't like the book, because I'm like, well, it kind of contradicts itself. I mean, nothing kind of, it contradicts himself. And I didn't want to have to mess with it, because I'm like, I don't know why. But the, but the picture this. Picture, picture you're a little parakeet, and you're on a little, perched on a little swing inside of a cage. And the teacher of the book of Ecclesiastes comes over and shakes it. And that's what this letter is about. You're perched. Life is good. You're sitting there. You got your little water. You got your little bird seed. You got your little mirror. And all of a sudden, the teacher just rattles the cage and shakes the cage of your life to say, Hevel! So here we have someone who loved their labor, and now the person is saying, Thus, the teacher is saying, thus I hated all the fruit of my labor. Now, why? <coughs> thus I hated all the fruit of my labor. Why? Which I labored under the sun. For I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, which I labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is hevel. It's vanity, it's futility. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, speaking of himself, with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then he has to give his legacy to one who has not labored with those attributes, this too is hevel. It's vanity and a great evil. For, who, for what does a man get in all his labor in his striving with which he has labored under the sun. Because all his days, his task, it's painful and it's grievous. And even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is hevel. So you're going to work hard. You're going to gather resources, gather wealth. And then they're going to go to somebody who may frivolously waste them. And now you can put all the legal documents you want in place. You can try to control it after your death by having it all nice and tight in a legal document. But let me give you an example of when this doesn't work. Let's take the Caldwell Zoo. Now, I love the Caldwell Zoo. Caldwell Zoo is in Tyler, Texas. I lived in Tyler, Texas 14 years running camps and conference centers down there. When I was a new camp director in my young 20s and Hoedown, by the way, Hoedown was my roommate in college. And then I ended up hiring him and he was my right-hand man. And the two of us, we did Young Life weekends, five weekends straight. We had all the Dallas Young Lifes come out and, and, and explode our property. And because um, Young Life, they don't do anything mellow. And uh, we loved Young Life. And they did that. And then during the midweek, we did outdoor education for Christian schools. So they bring 40 to 60 kids for their fifth and sixth grade outdoor education. So Hoedown and I never really had any time off. It was really kind of rough. And we worked, worked. Well, we finished the Thursday of outdoor education. We go to the Caldwell Zoo. The Caldwell Zoo was free. The Caldwell family started with the zoo with like, I think in the backyard with a squirrel monkey and a raccoon or something like that. It was like real basic. And then they ended up building this thing up and, and they took their wealth and they built this zoo and it had 
It had every animal except for gorillas. It had everything. I don't know what they had against gorillas. But they had elephants, giraffes. I learned so much about giraffes and, and that they can decapitate a lion with a back kick and all these things like, no way. And they give birth to the thing standing up and the little guy just hits the ground like, welcome to the world. It's Hevel. <laughs> Even in the animal kingdom. And I'd go there and it was free and I'd see families of every, you know, socioeconomic, you know, category. They, they, everyone just went there and they had these thatched picnic tables and all these picnic tables, huge amounts of picnic tables. People came and just, just did life there. And it was their getaway because it didn't cost anything. Because that was the intention of the Caldwell family. And they endowed this zoo so they never had to charge. I came up here. Then I went back and I visited some friends and Tyler, and I found out that the Caldwell Zoo now charges. I was mad. That was never the intention of the Caldwells. They figured out a way that if they build some sort of some sum, they could get enough, you know, the debt to you know, equity ratio, and, and they could maybe get a lot. Anyway, they figured out how to bypass the will of the Caldwells. But guess what? The Caldwells, they're dead. Can't do anything about it. That's Hevel. That's Hevel. Control is an illusion and you can't change it. You can't stop time. You can't stop death. And you can't control life. But the antidote, we can rest in the sovereignty of God. God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. That gives me tremendous comfort. If, if, if it doesn't you, if saying that phrase doesn't cover you, then you need to start just reading about what sovereignty means and, and what Scripture says about God's sovereignty. When you realize that God is all-powerful, he, he knows all things at all times, all knowledge is before Him all the time. It's mind-blowing for us. We can't even get to understand. How does God give us an uncoerced will and then yet how does He predestine? I don't know and I don't have to know. That's just true. I can rest because I'm indestructible till God's finished with me if I'm obeying him. So if I obey God, I'm going to live every day that I'm supposed to live until he says, you're done. There's actually a saying, and I don't think I've used it this summer. Maybe I did once, I don't recall. But there was a, there was a statement by um, Martin Luther said this. And I'm not into all the, you know, the deep history of you know, the church. And all, but I, this one I, stuck with me. You'll, you'll see why once I tell you. Martin Luther said this. If God told me, to go eat the horse dung off the street. Right there, you know why I like the quote. If God told me to go eat the dung off the street, not only would I do it, I would know it's good for me. That's a statement of the sovereignty of God. It's just simply saying, anything that comes from our God is gonna be good. It's who he is, it's not just what he does. And he has all power. He has no equal. The demonic realm is not his equal. That's the equal to Michael and Gabriel and some of the angels. There is no equal to God. And because of that, though I fret at times and I start to see the news and I start to see what's happening with a beautiful country that God gave, this, gave us and, and, the, and how stupid we are and how foolish we are and how it's not making any sense and I start to go, ah, I stop. I say, God, you're sovereign. And you have a reason. You're working out good in the midst of all this yuck, all this hevel. You're working out your plan. 
and I can rest in the sovereignty of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15 says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. It's the show, it's the, it's the rattling of the cage. You can't straighten what's crooked. What is lacking cannot be counted. Now again, I put the princes in there by humans. I'm not talking about God. It goes on to say in verse chapter 2, verse 24, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This is also, I have seen, that this is from the hand of God. It's a gift from God. It's God's grace. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? You can't. Under the sun, that vacation, you're going to go two weeks. Oh, two weeks. I'm getting two weeks. Who gets two weeks of vacation? Guess what? It's going to end. Hevel. It's going to come to an end. The weekend's coming. Yeah. Hevel. Mondays are coming. You can't. And you can't enjoy life without, without God. For to a person who is good in his sight, God gives him wisdom and knowledge and joy. While the sinner, he's given the task of gathering, collecting, so that he, he may give to the one who is, in good, who is good in God's sight. So I commended pleasure, for there's nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and drink and to be merry. This will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. And then it goes on to say, and three times it says, you can't discover what God is doing. You can try, but you can't. Control is an illusion, but we can rest in God's sovereignty. And this little picture, just kind of fun. That's me, my hopes and dreams. That's life under the sun. The last life-sucking reality is human achievement doesn't satisfy, and yet we act like it will. This is a big one. This may be, I might be meddling in your life right now. Because some of you, you may be so achievement-oriented and you are cranking and you're on a roll and things are going good with your business or whatever it is that you're plowing full steam into. But I'm just going to tell you, if you're doing that because you got issues with your marriage or issues with your own internal peace or with whatever, it's not going to satisfy you. It's just not. In this moment, you might be satisfying, just like... Solomon and all the things he tried from vineyards to building projects to women to laughter. He tried it all and, and it was short pleasure. But it'll never satisfy. So question for you. This is just kind of an odd question. Why are children sent to kindergarten? Come on. Get them ready for what? First school. You're getting, you send them to kindergarten. You're getting them ready for the next phase of first grade, second grade. Okay, what else? Get them out of your house. Let's be, no, no, that's spoken like a true dad. Get them out of here. We got to get a break. Mothers would say, oh, we love them, but you know, they need to develop. No, what they're really saying is I need a break, but that's okay. Mothers, you say it nicely. No, we want to get them out of the house. We want to get them educated. Oh, here comes the live long and prosper. (laughs) Isn't that so stinking cute? I mean, it just makes you want to be a toddler again. All they have to worry about is naps and veggies that they don't like. Their lives are so good. So why do we send them to kindergarten? We send them to kindergarten because we want to educate them. We want, to, we want them to have social skills. We want, to, we want to break. Okay, great. Why do we send them, let's say, okay, so it's first grade. Why do we send them to first grade? More of the same. Okay, second grade. More of the same. Okay, why do we send them to high school? 
So they, you know, why, why did they do, so they can do sports, okay? They can do sports, great. And then they, get, they can get uh, a job and they can develop and well-rounded resume. Why do we want them to get those things and, and, and the education and get good grades? So they can get into a what? A good college. Yeah, and why do we have them in a good college? So they can get, you know, the freshman, your sophomore, junior, senior, maybe another senior, maybe another senior year, you know, it depends on your child. And why are they doing all that? They're rounding out their resume. Why? So they can get a good job. Now you're talking, they get a good job. They get a good job. They're going to get paid good money. What do they do? They get good money. Now what they can do, they can go buy a house. Oh, they can buy a house. Oh yeah, they can buy stuff. And they still buy stuff and they work harder and harder and harder to get more money. Why more money? So you can buy more stuff and more stuff and get a bigger house and a bigger car and a nicer car. And then you buy that. And then what happens is you do, you run out of space for all the stuff. So what do you do? You have a yard sale, a garage sale, and you sell off some of this stuff to make more money. Why? So you can buy newer stuff. And then you get to a certain age. Now you have enough money to retire and you move to Florida and you get a tricked out golf cart so you can impress all the other seniors and you drive around and you look at your money, see if you could buy, go out to dinner, maybe go on a cruise, do all these things. And then guess what happens? You die. <laughs> but before that happens, well, no, you die. And that's why we send our kids to kindergarten. I mean, think about it. There's got to be more than that cycle. There's got to be more to that. Under the sun, there isn't. You're just buying stuff. You're just gathering stuff. You're trying to make yourself meet some needs. I'm not a huge fan of Jim Carrey, but um, he made a quote, and he's a great actor, but he made this quote. I thought it was very uh, telling. He says, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That's the truth. Ecclesiastes says it this way in chapter 1, verse 3. What advantage does man have in all his work? Question mark. What does it accomplish? All things are wearisome. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. Thus, I considered my act, all my activities with my hands that they had done. And behold, all is vanity. All is chasing the wind. All is hevel. There is no profit under the sun. All is vanity 38 times. Human achievement doesn't satisfy but serving God with our lives. That brings purpose, fulfillment, satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 9 says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. And then it's not just saying eat and drink to survive. It then goes on and says, let your clothes be white all the time. Let the oil not be lacking from your head. I mean, these are, these are kind of luxury things. God has good in store for us, not just to survive. He wants us to thrive in some ways and enjoy life. And it says it in verse 9, enjoy life with the woman with whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. Let's not forget and be reminded it's fleeting. But enjoy your life which he has given you under the sun, for this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. God gives us enjoyment, but we have to see it with the lenses that he gives us to see it from, with an attitude in which we're not sitting on the throne, he's on the throne, and we're yielded to him fully. And so throughout the text, you'll see um, numerous places where it talks about eat and drink and enjoy the meal, enjoy the fellowship, enjoy the sun. And so to me, this is it. This is the takeaway. This is God's gift to us. Enjoying a good meal. You know, one of the 
one of the evils, one of the hevel, big hevel. I'm not talking about on the extreme side of COVID, but on the milder side that most of us had. Losing your taste buds. I didn't, but my, my wife did a little and my son did. And I was talking about, hey, son, let's go out to dinner. Let's go out and get, I want to get a steak sandwich up at Dog in the Bank. It's a restaurant playing well. It's awesome. He's like, dad, I won't be able to taste anything. I could eat liver right now. I wouldn't know. I'm like, oh. And of course, I started thanking the Lord for me. Thank you, Lord, that my taste buds are here. And help my son. We get to enjoy the flavor of food, the fellowship of other people. That's why people say, oh, you, can't, you know, this is week seven. You know, how many weeks you got left? I go, I don't know. I don't count. Oh, you only have two weeks? I don't count. I spend all year. This is, this is all we, we're preparing for the next year. Why would I want to count it down? That's hevel. I'm chasing the wind if all of a sudden I work all year for summer and the summer gets here and then I'm thinking about it being over. I'm going to go on vacation. Then I go on vacation and I start thinking toward the end, oh, I got to get back to work. I got tons of emails. It's hevel. I want to savor every moment. So even last night, when my kids said something like, it's almost done, I go, I don't want it to be. I'm savoring it. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, it'd be nice to have freedom to do something for more than like an hour without being texted or called. But I love it because it's God's calling on my life now. And I'm savoring it. We need to savor. And it says, oh, you gotta look again. It's so cute. They are so cute. I mean, of course, you all see your little one out there. It's like, no, that's the cutest one. You know, everyone else, they're kind of not, they're mildly cute. <clears throat> Chapter 12, wrapping up the book. Remember, verse one, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in them. I hate my life. Remember, now that's not saying in this passive sort of recollection. Remember here means this, act decisively on behalf of your creator. Now, act decisively on behalf of your creator and train your kids, model for your kids. If you want them to bleed, you got to hemorrhage. Dr. Hendricks says when he was a prophet at Dallas Seminary. If you, want to, if you want people to bleed, you got to hemorrhage. you got to be that 40% variance as Barna talks about. Remember, act decisively on behalf of your creator now. So in the days of their youth and in the days of your youth, you don't get old and then say, I hate my life. I like my life. And there are days that are hard and it's full of hevel. But I still say, thank you, Lord, that you have me on display to put you on display. Guide me through this complex situation. And I don't enjoy the situations, but I'm grateful that the Lord is with me and he's gonna get me through. And then last, the, the conclusion of the matter, at the end of the chapter 12 says, the conclusion when all has been heard, fear God, respect God, honor God as king. Fear God and keep his commandments. And not the 10 commandments. This is talking about the commands that have been brought up throughout this 12 chapter book of Ecclesiastes. 
fear God, respect God, obey God, and keep these truths, these simple wisdom commands, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, whether it is hidden or whether it is good or evil. Again, we don't have to fear what we've done evil, things that we've done sinful. That sin has been paid for on the cross. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So it'll be tested by fire and burned up. You just won't get rewarded because there's nothing to reward. But when we stand before the Lord, he's going to get rid of all hevel. He's going to make a new kingdom fully implemented with no sin, no death, no sadness, no pain, sickness, no night. It's going to be amazing. And there won't be any hevel. So I look forward to that. Human achievement doesn't satisfy, but serving God brings, uh, serving God with our lives brings satisfaction. So this is the conclusion for me. I'm going to just wrap it up with this one slide, and I'm going to show you kind of what I took my takeaway. So this is not straight lit from the text speaking to me. I'm just kind of summary of it. So in all the hevel of life's uncertainty and its chaos and its pain, remember these three things, and you'll experience unprecedented, unprecedented joy and peace. Because all of us have pain in this life. We all have hevel. But we can have joy and peace. And these are the three things that I walked away from my study of the text. God's grace is ever present. Every gift is from him. He gives us the joy. He gives us the ability to, be, to, to have contentment and, and enjoy and, and the pleasure. God's grace is ever present. And his simple gifts should be savored. A good meal. A walk in the sunshine a time with family and friends. Those are all just simple pleasures that God gives us that we should savor. Second, accept the hevel. Don't fight it, accept it. There's just hevel. There's just futility. There's frustration. There's this chaos. There's this grabbing at smoke. You can't grab it. It's, 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 it's disorienting. I actually wanted to have a smoke machine, but you guys were already in here. I wanted to have a smoke machine. I wanted to fill this room full of smoke. And then I wanted you guys to come in and go, oh no. And I wanted to be in the hiding in the smoke going, uh, help me. And then I wanted to keep moving around and you all panicking, knocking through chairs and knocking over. And Someone needs help. Yeah. Yeah, I want to do that to you. So you experience the hevel. <laughs> Accept the hevel. And trust in God's sovereignty. There's hevel in this life, but we have a God who overcomes it. And he's with us. And he loves us. He cries with us. He grieves with us. Jesus modeled that while he was on this earth. And then third, make the most of each day to honor God and love others. Make the most of your day. Honor God and love others. I'm going to end with this little story. This spring, you know, summer's coming, a lot of stress. It may look like my job's easy and fun, and, and there are parts that are, but there, it's, I'm the executive director, there's a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things going on. And I realized that I need to pace myself because some of you all know I have MS, I have multiple sclerosis. I've had it for 11 years. Um, first couple years were really bad um, and I was scared I was gonna be in a wheelchair. And um, I also have limes on top of that, that's why ticks suck. And, um, and, and I experientially know that. And so, you know, there's some things here that my life could be on a totally different course, but by God's kindness, and um, he's blessed some radical changes in my eating patterns and my sleep. And I've turned into a hippie and I ground and I near infrared sauna and I do injections and I, I do all sorts of stuff. Um, and so, uh, but for, in God's timing, he's allowed me to stay healthy to where I can jump around. My mind's sharper than it's ever been. And, and I, have, I don't have the fatigue that I used to have. And, 
And, and that's just God's kindness. And it may not be that way, but I want to maximize my day. But I also recognize that when I have numbness and tingling in various places in my body and, and I have some optic neuritis and this and that, but uh, my face, I have, I have sensations in my face. Now, again, it's just sensations. It's not, it's not a limitation in my mobility, you know? But if I start to get stressed, if you see me doing this, now don't start watching me the rest of the day. <laughs> but if I start to like, you know, if you see me just kind of rubbing, you know, typically it's because um, I'm getting some sensations that are just driving me a little nutty. And sometimes I feel like it's like a, like a little spider or bug crawling on my face. I mean, sometimes like, you know, it's just kind of, and so, you know, you'll see me do it. Well, when I get stressed and my stress levels get high, it gets a very acute, like it's really bad. Like I can tell you, you know, numbness here, numbness there, and you know, weird sensations. Okay, so it's great. It's a gift from the Lord because I know I need to chill. So it's a great indicator. And stress is one of the reasons I had relapses in 2013 was because of stress. I had a bunch of stress happening, so I just, I relapsed. And I haven't had any since then. But I also pace myself. And I'm also going, Lord, what do you want to do? Well, I realized I need to look forward to something. And I'm working, 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 working. My team's working, 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 working. And we're just cranking out because summer's coming. And there's things going on during the fall and during the spring and during the winter. Well, anyway, I decided that I found out that there's a new restaurant in the Radisson. It's called Brick and Brine. Now, when I checked out the menu, it took the place of Zazio. Zazio's was pretty Zazie. And uh, it, it, was, it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty bougie. And then they made Brick and Brine in the same place. Well, I go, hey, Scott, and I was looking in the windows when they're constructing. I'm like, ooh, that's pretty bougie in there too. Well, they have $75 ribeye steaks. I'm not eating that. I can't enjoy a $75 steak. It's too expensive. It doesn't even come with salad. But I thought one of these days I want to eat there. Well, then I actually, when it opened, I went in there and I found out they have a bar happy hour menu. Well, they have a bar menu, but then happy hour is from four o'clock to 5.30, Tuesday through Friday. And they have some little, you know, appetizer type things, but they have a burger. <laughs> it's about a half a pound Angus burger with aged cheddar. Now, it's serious cheddar. It's not like a slap of a cheddar slice. That, oh, it's cheddar. Okay, that's cheddar. Okay, fine. This is aged cheddar where you take a bite of the burger and you go, oh, that's aged cheddar. It has bacon. It has sauteed onions. It's got this big old steak knife right through the middle of it onto this cutting board. And then it's got these fries and this like little fryer basket. It's a little cute, cute little thing. And they take their fries. They don't just do, they don't just dump fries out of a frozen bag. No, no, they cut the potatoes. Then they boil the potatoes. Then they blanch the potatoes. And then they deep fry the potatoes. And they're so crispy on the outside, yet so tender on the inside. And I know I'm not supposed to eat this, but once a week, I'd say either Thursday or Friday, I'd look at the calendar and I'd see, and it started back in March, and I'd look and I'd see what day was gonna be better, and then about three o'clock, I'd leave. I'd go downtown, Kalamazoo, and I'd get my steps in. And I'd walk around downtown, so I'd be doing emails, my hands are freezing, but I'm doing emails. I'm doing some videos, maybe you guys got a video, I'd say, hey, how you doing? And I was sending videos out to people, just having fun, thanking you guys for being foundational friends and a gift you may have given. And I'm just, and then at about 4.30, I go over to Brick and Brine and I pony up to the board, the, bo the, the, the bar, and I go, and there's Steve and there's Wes and there's Ray, the bartenders. They're artists with all they do. Now, I'm not a drinker, but I love watching them. They got this thing where they make this bubble and it's got some sort of smell in there. And then this other thing, they burn something and it puts all the smoke into this drink. I don't know, but it's like a $20 drink. It's like, have fun with that. But anyway, it was really cool watching it. 
And I get the burger and I savor every bite and I just enjoy it. And every week for eight weeks, I went downtown and I savored the sun, the walk, whatever temperature it was. I savored the french fries. I savored the conversation with Steve at the bar, the person next to me. I enjoyed it. And for two hours, I lived my best retired life. (laughs) And then it stopped because they took the burger off the menu. Hevel. (laughs) Hevel. Now they replaced it with a chicken sandwich and, and, you know, and and it it was Hevel. (laughs) But for two months, for eight weeks, I savored that experience. Since then, I walk Battle Creek. I go to Cafe Rica. I get their breakfast burrito. I get myself a decaf because you don't want to see me with caffeinated coffee. I get a decaf, cinnamon vanilla latte, which I never drink coffee except when I'm down in Battle Creek. And then I found Plainwell and I go out and I walk and they got dog in the bank with a steak sandwich. I won't go into it because lunch is coming. So all I want to say is, find those things that you can savor and thank God for and be reminded of his goodness because every day is a gift from the Lord. Savor today. Don't start thinking about all the things you got to do back home. Savor the time with your kids or your grandkids or with your spouse or with your friends. Savor it. We don't know what tomorrow has. We're indestructible until God's finished with us when we're obeying him. But savor it. That's his gift to us in the midst of a world that's full of heaven under the sun. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for illuminating your text. It's such an encouraging book now that uh, I can understand the teacher's intention to shake and rattle our cages to get us to come back to you and the sovereignty that you have that we want to rest in. We want to live for you, Lord. We want every day to count. We don't want it to be about stuff and wealth and, and whatever it is, it's about us. But Lord, it's about what you're doing. So help us partner with you. You put us on display to put you on display. So strengthen my friends and encourage them in Jesus' name. Amen.